Blog Talk Radio. Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3074. That's 3074. Okay. I'm Carol Levine. I'm Vice President of NASCAR. Um, I wasn't scheduled to uh, be uh, on tonight, but uh, it appears that I have to be, and that's okay. That's right. Now, the 760 area code, is is that my guest? Is that doctor? Is that you? Yes. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> okay. All right, good. Yeah, yeah, I bet you are. All right, so first of all, let me, you know, I have to read the mission statement. I, I do want to talk a little bit about that. Um, tonight I'd like to speak a little bit about community, how community can help people. I think that might be a good idea. And then I saw something, by the way, on our um, well, on our NASCA uh, website where people talk back and forth, and it's about uh, behavior, okay? Like if you come from a family where you've been physically abused, mentally, emotionally, all that other stuff, can that lead to delinquency and then maybe even, you know, big crime later on? So that's a couple topics that I have I'd like to address, and maybe you have something you certainly want to address. So let me let me read the mission statement, and then I'll give you a proper, um, let's say who you are. Okay. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so from two different ways. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Number two is offering hope for healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, we have we have Dr. Jaime on. Can I call him Dr. Jaime? Okay. Romo. And actually, that's how his name is uh, pronounced. I was calling you Dr. Jamie. <laughs> I didn't know that the J was silent. So forgive me. You are Dr. Jaime no Romo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I should have remembered that, even like from Spanish class or a couple. I think J was one, maybe H another. I don't remember. But anyway, the point is um, we have some problems here 
at NASCA with people who are going back and forth with each other um, in the um, in the chat room, if you want to call it that, for you know for NASCA. And it's not a problem. It's just a, the way that they think and the other one thinks the other way. And, and I'd like to address that with you and uh, see how what you think about that. But before I get to that, um, community. Okay, community. Community, especially now when things are so horrible, so horrible in our world, and that's just the way it is. I believe in helping people. I'm all about helping people. In fact, I help people too much. And then I get taken advantage of, you know what I'm saying? I have that type of uh, behavior inside of me. And it's like that type of mentality, and I'm not saying that that's good. But what I am saying is this. If we help people who are in trouble, um, then somewhere along the line, it's like a boomerang, you know what I'm saying? It comes back, and something nice does help, you know, comes back to us, and someone will help us too. And uh, But it's called community, too. When you see that people are hungry, you see that they're um, in trouble in other ways. Uh, as a community, I think if we came together and worked together as a community, um, I think that maybe it would be less problems in the neighborhood. And uh, even with child abuse, addressing that as child abuse of all different types, like what I just read about, okay, Um you know, so-and-so down the block knows that Johnny across the street is getting sexually abused, but he doesn't say anything. We have to stop that. We have to stop that. Make a phone call. And the, the number that they talk about the most here when we've had the people on the show is the one 800 a child number. People many times are afraid of retaliation. You know, you know this. And I know this. And uh, so, therefore... They, they turn and they walk away. Or maybe they just don't care. I don't know. But as long as we have that type of mentality, you know, we're not going to grow as a community. And we very much need community. There was a fire down at the end of my street um, just a couple nights ago, a few nights ago. There were so many people who showed up, the, fire, the firemen and the police and the ambulances and all this stuff. And it looked like a, a whole bunch of decorations in, in the distance. I took a picture of it. I mean, that's what it was. I didn't want to go up and snoop, you know what I'm saying, but I was watching the situation. It's not my place. All those people are there. They have the help they need. So, you see, but later on, then what? Do people need clothing? Do people need food? Are they hurt? Um, I think this is where community, you know, could be more um, involved and uh, it's, it's, I think it's a moral thing to do. I think it's a good thing to do. And uh, I think we should do that throughout all the types of things that we're living in with the world today uh, to help each other. Because if we don't help each other, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do you? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or a month from now. So I think that if we can at least get our community stronger, we can be more helpful to each other and, um, and, and helpful to children, too. You know, I think this is very, very important. So I, I did want to get that out. And, uh, you know, we have things like you see signs that say crime watch when you're going down the street. Um, you see block watch. There's all different kinds. Um, but then there are also, too, and I'm going to bring this out because I know them very well, the guardian angels. They're all throughout the country. In fact, they're in other countries, too, and they're, and, uh, they're all over the place. And, of course, each um, state 
has different needs. Each county has different needs. And uh, what they do is they work with the people. They work with kids um, who are at risk, okay? And they also work, uh, if they know someone's in trouble down the street, they're hungry. Um, I think they do have a, a little platform. They have a little thing where they know something, a nest egg, where they'll gather, you know, some monies together and buy that person some food, you know, for the household. Or maybe they need oil. I'm going to need oil soon, okay? <laughs> you know the price of oil now? Oh, my God. So, I mean, but this is the thing. And if we were kinder to each other and if we got our communities in a better position, stronger, where there are people, there is strength. Now, I don't want to give a presentation. I do them all the time. That's why I rattle on. But I'm talking about something that will be helpful, you know, to uh, to each other is to become stronger in our communities. And I thank those people who care. I actually got a message from one of the guardian angels, and they said if that, you know, those people down the street, if they need something, let us know because that's what they do. See, we, we need more people like that. What do you think, Doc? Hmm. Thanks. I have lots of thoughts. Um, but you know, to start off, I wanted to go back to when you talked about the pandemic of abuse mm-hmm. of whatever kind. And I think the current pandemic helps people to kind of understand that whenever somebody uh, is infected with something, there's going to be some suffering time. And then ideally your immune system um, has a bit of resilience and protection against future similar things. Um, say ideally, but not always. Um, and um, there's ongoing called vaccinations, right? other ongoing ways that we protect ourselves. And similarly, when you're talking about uh, abuse of any kind, there's you know that initial experience that people can learn from, uh, can build up some defenses, ideally, and ongoing ways that they can be more protected. Um, and so when you bring up community, I think that's critical in, in how we all go forward because the pandemic isn't going to be solved by just individuals, but it's got to be a shared consciousness, it's got to be a shared set of actions. Uh, and so just like uh, in, in disease control, there's prevention and there's intervention and then there's a, the follow-up to help people to grow, get education. Mm-hmm. Um, same or similar with abuse, the trauma, the after effects. I mean, there's a prevention side, and I think that's what this program and organization is about, as well as intervention. You mentioned the guardian angels. They step in, um, and then the follow-up. If people need ongoing support. Um, so I, I just want to uh, highlight uh affirm this idea of, of community is necessary. Um, it's, it's not optional. It's not just for a few people to do, but to have a shared uh, consciousness that, that then doesn't just deal with individuals, but builds up even practices, whether they're formal you know, agreements or just kind of part of the culture. Um, and then even policies that reinforce you know, prevention or intervention. And um, to deal also then with accountability. So I'm in agreement. I think um, on every level, you're talking about people who need basic 
materials, you know, living supplies. Um, that's mm-hmm. one level of, of support, and it's, it's foundational. Right. And in terms of yeah. other kinds of healing, there's similar. We need to have you know, people who have some resources themselves uh, that help them to deal with their own uh, trauma, growth, that they can share. Right, right. And I think that's the only thing. Um, like with the survivors, which is what we are, okay, we're survivors. Uh, of horrific abuse, many of us, doesn't matter if it happened one time or a thousand times, you know what I'm saying, it's still trauma. So we are survivors. And, and many times, um, I've done a lot of presentations. Um, a couple of them are on, right on, uh, Bill has them posted. And uh, some of the, I help teach classes too for, they're kind of going to become social workers, right? They're going to become this, they're going to become that. They need to learn about child abuse. And it's amazing and sad all at the same time that I was also teaching professors. <laughs> they didn't, well, when they went to school, they, they weren't taught enough about child abuse and, and how it affects you physically, mentally, emotionally, okay? And they, they don't get it. They didn't understand. So I would always bring in information, uh, not just good presentations, but also bring in videos. We used to have really good videos. I have to look and see if we still have them. Um, you know, where children are getting beaten and things like that. Oh, my God. You know, all these things and uh, that happened to children in, in homes like we came from. So to actually use that as a tool, as a, a teaching method, to show them, you know, this is what happens. Because visual, you know, the visual is always very good. And um, we also did, I made them do, you know, a lot of role playing, a lot of role playing. That's good, too. And it's fun. Okay. <laughs> I have one word. Uh, the, the professor is pulling someone off of a stage because of his behavior. Okay. And um, so, you see, if we work together as a community, if we teach people, you know, about abuse and what it can do, okay, what it can do to children, then what does that do to the child? Because, you see, what happens is, um, this is what was going on on uh, our Facebook. Um, I guess the question was, let's see, oh, the relationship between abuses and violent behavior, okay, that was one of the things that was brought up. And uh, like in a family uh, that seems to be totally good on the outside, they present themselves well. And then on the inside, only God knows what's going on, okay? And that so often is the fact. But you'll have one kid who doesn't turn delinquent, and then you'll have another kid who is uh, like I was. I was out in the streets and popping pills and drinking. I was terribly neglected and stealing. I had hardly any clothing, me from the wealthy home. And and all this other stuff. So you see, the question was, is that because a person was so abused physically, mentally, emotionally, even right in the house, or is that a choice that they made to become delinquent? What do you have to say to that? Well, um, yeah, that's that's kind of an age-old question. I mean, I think part of it has to do, a huge part of it has to do with how people cope. Right. And in this, in the ways that they may have some resources to draw on, 
And so you said, you know, some people become kind of call it delinquent, um, challenging authority, doing things that are destructive to self or others. That's a coping mechanism. I mean, it's a way to push back um, what what there's no language to to express. It comes out in actions. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, that I was not impacted by the poverty, by the violence in my home, by the sexual abuse. My coping mechanism was to cover up, to be the perfect kid, to not wrapped with so much shame, and and you know be so motivated to excel in school so I could kind of get out, and there would be no attention drawn to what my experience really was. So. I mean, those are like two similar but opposite reactions, you know, mm-hmm. one to express mm-hmm. outwardly in a destructive way and the other to carry the rage, carry the self-destructiveness, you know, channeling it in a way that seemed to be acceptable. Um, right. And so right. I think that's common. Well, you see, now what you just said is a lot because – uh, we've had some guests on, well, actually quite a few guests. I don't forget, I've been on the show for 12 years. So there's a lot of guests. And the scan number here is 3074. That's a lot of shows. Yes, it is. I'm proud of that. But uh, we've had people on uh, who have come on as guests. And uh, they came from a background that was very, very abusive. And a lot of times they were the one being abused, whatever. And they, too, would be try to be, they were like a perfectionist, a perfectionist. They wanted to be, they had to do very well in school. They had to be at the top of their class. Or they weren't happy, okay. And then, too, I think maybe in their mind they were thinking, well, maybe if I'm, you know, like a, an excellent student and so forth, um, maybe my mother and father will like me better, you know. And, and they'll put in all of this tremendous amount of, of um you know, all of this stuff and to make themselves be better in school than anyone else and to do so well. And sure, they might get hundreds, you know, and depending on what year you're in, you get hundreds or down or you get A's, B, and C's, whatever. But like an A plus, we'll say, all right, they want to be an A plus. If they get an A minus, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. So what they do is they put everything, all their, their interests and everything into the schoolwork and uh, that is like their coping way, okay? Then others, you know, they have ways where, like me, I be, I became an athlete, and um, that was an excellent thing for me because um, I don't know if you're exactly my age, but when I was young, living upstate New York, um, poliomyelitis was all over the place. It was rampant. There was an outbreak. And it filtered into New Jersey, Bergen County. And we were always going back and forth from Bergen County, New Jersey, into upstate New York. So, of course, I had to come down with it, all right? <laughs> Brother. So all the things I'd already seen in my, that my eyes should never have seen. So I got that, too. And um, But it made me, I know this is going to sound weird, but this is how I am. I'm a tough person. I was a tough girl then. That's why I lived. But... I was going to, I was going to be okay, and even as a child, okay, they told me you have to wear leg braces, and I said no, I don't, and I won't. 
I'm a kid. I'm five years old. And I've seen so much domestic violence and so much blood flying. And by the way, there are a lot of guns in the house. Everyone had guns, but no one used them. Thankfully, they fist fought. Okay, they didn't uh, use the guns. But the point is, I was going to, um, I was going to make this okay. Okay, I was going to get over this. They put me in a class, a special class. Now, I wasn't the only one that had the poliomyelitis in that area. But we had to go into, as they called it, the dummy class, okay? Well, that was highly insulting. No kid wanted to be in the dummy class. And I had to, I had trouble speaking. My my fever had gotten so high, I got up to 105. My mother, they didn't keep me in the hospital. They took me to the hospital. They told me, look, she'll get better care at home if you do the right things. Because the hospital was so full of it. You know, of all these people, all these patients. So in the midst of all the violence at home, they had this to do, and uh, I saw all of it. And uh, so I was a fighter, and they put me in the ice-cold water, brought my temperature down. They had to do it for several days. I think I was in and out of consciousness. I, I just simply was. And uh, so when I got to the point where I was able to walk and talk, but I wasn't able to walk correctly, I was very weak. My legs are very weak, and that's why they wanted to put those braces on. So, okay, they they actually listened to me. Rather than hear my mouth, I guess, <laughs> they said, okay, let her do her thing. So they put me in this dummy class, and uh, I wasn't able to say L's like elephant, um, Lucifer, uh, anything that has an L, aluminum, um, anything that had L's in it. So I had to learn to say, lucky Lulu loses all the time. Now, I'm only five, six years old by that time. And I thought that was stupid. Lucky Lulu loses all the time. But I didn't care. I sat in front of the mirror half an hour, maybe almost an hour a day when I got home from school. And I got out of that class in six months, not even. I was supposed to be there for a year because I was not going to be in that class. It took me a while, believe me, to get my legs in order. I couldn't do anything about my legs. I just, as time went by, I got stronger and stronger. And then I became an athlete. So what, the way that I coped, the way that I coped with my anxieties of seeing all kinds of things in my own household uh, was to run. And I became an athlete. I did run. And we always had huge properties. Some places had 35 acres. Other places had a little bit less, but it was always huge. And uh, we'd sell one place, go to another, inside again, New York, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey. Okay. So anyway, the point is that um, I made myself do the almost impossible. I had to make myself a better person. Some people strive to become the best student. I would strive to be the best athlete, and I won awards. And nobody could touch my 50-yard dash. And I did the hurdles. So you see, I got over that. I got over that terrible disease. And now polio is back in our country, by the way. Thank you very much. We won't get into that. But the point is this. Um, that's I understand what you're saying there. Because we do have people that come on as a guest. And they, too want to strive to be the best at what they can do, okay? 
So that's another coping mechanism. Yeah, well, I get it. Yeah. So, you know, just this morning um, I opened a meeting with my team um, with a, a reflection on the Roadrunner and the Wiley Coyote. Not them in particular, mm-hmm. but what that I, I heard a story, a study one time, a sociologist said, you know, the reason that this show is so popular over so many decades, and so the kids, people who were kids when it first came out are now much older, and they're still interested in this show, that it comes down to the people identify with a coyote, that the universe is against him. Right? He creates some, his own problems, of course, but um, this, that's the an underlying kind of belief that people get with, oh, yeah, this poor guy, things keep bad, bad things keep happening. And my point is that early on, people can internalize some interpretations because when people are young, we don't have the capacity to really have a bigger picture and understanding of the world because our own small world can be very negative. Um, So I I showed these these slides um, of this is, the kind of interpretations that we may pick up and, and some may serve us in a short term. Um, like one is that very fatalistic, you know, it'll probably get worse. You know, some people use that as a joke, right? And, but some people I think really carry that, like really the world is, the universe is against me. That things have been bad and they'll probably stay bad or even get worse. And I would say, well, that's, really not true in the bigger picture in a lot of ways. Um, but that's something that people may use to motivate them to to get out. You know, like my uh, expression that a psychologist once told me of my experience was a meteoric rise out of the community. Like, I wanted out. I did everything I could to push myself to get out. Um, another, I think, false interpretation is... Uh, you know, the idea of your only limit is you. And and some people, it sounds like you did in a very real way, you know, overcame physical limitations because you were so driven. And many others as well have had that experience. And I think it's powerful. Um, but I think in the long term, you know, for me, that would that would block off my openness to be vulnerable with and, and in community, how can I trust other people when you know that I've been betrayed and hurt? So, you know, my limitation is all about me, um, and I kind of like disconnect from from the reality that I can heal in community. Um, and, and there there are many others. You know, the idea of you know just deal with this, put, put your head down in three months, you'll thank yourself, you know, you've gone through this terrible stuff. And to me, that's also a short term coping mechanism or an interpretation of how to deal with difficult things. But it's also terrible in the long run. I mean, to not be present, to not be able to give ourselves some compassion and give ourselves a break or speak to something that, you know, is not okay. Um, so I'm just saying it's normal. We interpret things when we're young that um, that sometimes may help us and other times totally become destructive. Um, in the case, I think it's with more experience, I mean, people can get some 
other understanding perspective. Um, and mm-hmm. so I can talk about that later, but I just wanted to acknowledge, yeah, you've, cause you, you overcame a lot, right? a crazy amount. And, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of survivors do that. And I think, um, there's a, a need, um, at some point to allow ourselves to, um, take a break from that energy mm-hmm. and, and be present to ourselves and trust others and connect with others and, and, uh, and find, see ways that, you know, like, was it Martin Luther King, but others said, you know, the, the moral arc of the universe is, is turning towards justice. It's a long arc. You can't see a lot of times the changes that are going on in either in us or around us. And I think that's, again, where a healthy community can help us to see. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, they they often say, and I agree with this, (laughs) um, sometimes we're so wrapped up. I'm not like this anymore, thank God. I have vision, and I'm able to, to look forward instead of always looking backwards. But when you're in the middle of it, of all the, the whatever is going on in your life, all the craziness, all the madness, all the, the things that we go through, sometimes, like with the seasons even, you just spark something. And they, with the seasons, you don't see the seasons. I love the seasons. I love having spring. Well, hardly we have spring, but spring, fall, winter. You know what I'm saying? I love to have that because it's, it's beautiful. Each one shows its own beauty. And and there was a time in my life because my life was so broken, and that went into my adulthood, into my marriages, the whole nine yards. And this is the first time that I am alone, living alone, and uh, I'm happy. I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't get hit. I don't get screamed at. Um, and I can come and go as I please. I'm happy. Do I get lonely? Once in a great while, yeah, I have to admit, I, I get a little lonely there. Yes, I do. I am human. And as long as you breathe, uh, I do all the human things, okay? <laughs> That's the way I am. So I will just simply go and take a ride. And I tell people this because I'm the night owl. I get those calls. And uh, to remove themselves from the environment that they're in, okay, if they um, are feeling depressed or if they're feeling this, they're feeling that, whatever, uh, after I hang up, you know, go out, you know, if you have a car, take a ride. Do something nice for yourself. If you're able to, say you have 10 bucks that you can spend, go get yourself an ice cream cone. <laughs> I don't care what it is. That's, that's probably what I would do. You know, um, something like that. Do something nice for yourself. Go buy a book. Um, whatever. Go visit someone. Go help someone. I think that's the best of all because um, there was one year I, I spent some time in, uh, going in and out of a soup kitchen. And I only really did it once. I was first observing, and then I got involved, and then I ended up working in New York with the, with the homeless for a while. I very much enjoyed that, very much. We stayed in the Manhattan area because the people that I went with, they were called the uh, Midnight Run. They were around for many, many years. And then uh, someone got a a grant, I think it was Dyfus, and they took over 
what we were doing, and that really made me mad because we have heart, okay? They don't have heart. Sorry, I've gotten a lot of feedback. And also, too, we would make all kinds of food before we left to go to the city. We'd make sandwiches, and uh, we'd have vats of soup. Now I'm talking about in the wintertime. And uh, a lot of people donated. They did in, in Hackerstown area, you know, coats, jackets, uh, hoodies, whatever. And um, a lot of things were bought from Walmart. So what? Um, because they would give money instead of, you know, in lieu of clothing, whatever. And uh, so the point is they loved it when we came. They were waiting for us because they knew they were going to get toothpaste and toothbrushes and all the toiletries and uh, and, and even underwear. Even bras for women, all different sizes. What do you think of that? I mean, it was really, you know, we were really into into it. What do people need? So um, they'd stand in line. And for the most part, they were very, uh, you know, well-behaved. There were a couple times that they weren't, and we straightened them out. And uh, so they were able to get coffee, hot chocolate, um, or water, and soup, sandwiches, and they were, so they were eating. And we even put, gave them potato chips, you know, the little bags, and things like that. So um, they were very, very happy that we were there. I'm going to tell you something. Jaime, one night this guy pulled up. I've only said this maybe two or three times on air, but I'm going to say it again. Um, we didn't look for thank yous from people. Again, this is community. This is what community people or community-minded people do, okay, as as what we should do. But this guy pulled over. He had a flashy red car. I don't know what kind it was. I can't tell the names of cars. In the old days, it could, but now they're all different. I don't know. So anyway, he got out and he said, are you, are you uh, the midnight run? And I said, well, yeah, I've been a part of it for not that long, but they've been around forever. He said, well, let me tell you something. Because of the help you gave me, you people, this organization, today I'm straight. I have a new car. And he turned and looked at his red car. Um, I have a, a nice roof over my head. I wouldn't want to ask what his rent was in New York. But um, the point is he had a good job and he was fine. And he said, thank you. And he got into his vehicle, and he took off. So you see, that means more to me than any Christmas present and or anything, okay? Because that shows that by being community-minded, by helping people, by helping the homeless, and, and you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing to do, and it heals us too, Jaime. You know, it makes us feel good. It's okay to feel good about yourself because for so many years we felt bad about ourselves. See, this is like a healing process also for us. We did something right, okay? We did something well. So I'm... Yeah. Yeah. So anyone can look that up. I I guess it's still um, under the same name, you know, the Midnight Run. But... um, and that's in the Warren County. So anyway, New Jersey. But anyway, so um, I think that a part of healing, and I, I get these phone calls like I started to say, and it's very difficult with some of them. I always tell them about the programs that NASCA has to offer. Okay, NASCA, that's N-A-A-S-C-A dot org for those who are listening, NASCA dot org. And if you go over to the red blocks, I have to tell this when I do, you know, when I'm doing this. Um, 
go to the red blocks, and each block has a different title in it. And all the way over to the left, which is the first one, it says programs. You can go into those programs. It's so simple. You click on to it, and if you see the world spinning around, you know you've done the right, right thing. You're in the right place. And uh, then you scroll down a little bit more, and we do speak to people in other countries. You go past that, you'll see the United States. And I'm in New Jersey right now, so I would hit New Jersey, click on to it. And then it goes by county. Some of, most of them go by county, I think, or sometimes they go by towns, whatever. It's all alphabetical. So I would go to my county, and then it tells you, it gives you programs that you can go to where you can go, and it's free. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are free. And, and you can go in and find people like yourself. Now, this is very healing because a lot of people who call me in the AM, maybe in the night owl, right, they, um, they isolate themselves. And you know that's bad. I don't have to tell you that. So, you know, they need these programs. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people who go into these programs. And then there are a couple, of course, every once in a while that don't like them. So, but for the most part, there are those that do. So we offer this at NASCA. So what we have, we have the platform here for people to, you know, to tell their story. I told it 12 years ago, and I never left. I never left. And um, I don't know when I'll leave. There are, I have other interests. But, you know, um, NASCA's in my heart. But, you know, because I've been here 12 years. I was on another radio show for two years before that. So 14 years I've been on the radio. So I'm very comfortable, needless to say. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's healing, healing, healing. And these people that call me in the AM, a lot of times they don't know how to look forward. They're still looking backwards. Mm-hmm. And you see, that's well, so I hard when you're dealing with someone. Go ahead. Well, um, I don't know where I – it's probably on Facebook I saw, but this it's a little uh, – Reflection that starts with uh, hurt people hurt others, but luckily healed people heal others, and safe people mm-hmm. shelter others, and free spirits free others, and enlightened people illuminate others, and love always wins. So let your light of love, uh, so shine your light of love on all who may cross your path in life, because what you do matters. Um, it just relates in my mind to you know, what you're talking about, helping others that mm-hmm. we may not see the immediate impact, but it matters. Mm-hmm. There's um, one of these slides that I shared with the team this morning, uh, and it says success. It's not always what you see, and it's one picture of a, like a, a tiny carrot under the ground, but it's got this big old green um, set of leaves up above ground. And then you've got this other really big carrot, very deep down under the ground. And what's showing on top is just a, a little tiniest bit of kind of a green, uh, whatever that is, leaf. And, uh-huh. and I think there's just so much that we don't know. And some of it's our own that we don't know, and some of it's in, in others that we just can't know. Um, how people are growing in the midst of this you know, struggle. Um, right. And, right. But that that idea of um, we 
need others um, and in, in often the, by helping others of course we realize that even more that we have something uh, of compassion as well as you know, actual helping you know giving resources or things that, that physically help others um, that that's a, that's an old story you know that the god Chiron the Greek god the story about the wounded healer you know, right. He was poisoned by a wounded arrow and he was suffering for eternity and until he noticed that someone else was suffering and, and then noticing and reaching out and attending to and being with the other. Um, he could be helpful and in that compassion, he was also becoming more whole and, and healed. So, That's right. Yeah, I That's mean, right. it does relate to healing and, and in a healthy community, certainly in terms of intervention and, and follow-up. Well, you know, I, 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 so, I so agree with that because, um, you see, unfortunately, sometimes we're having an awful storm here, so there's a lot of noise here. But um, what else is new? I live up on top of the mountain. I, honest to God, we have so many storms up here. So anyway, the point is um, a lot of times we get people uh, and someone pointed this out to me, and I was a little annoyed at first, but I think they might be right because there are some people that relish, you know, in their own wallowing. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to move forward. And the only way I can look at that is there's two things. Number one, they're comfortable where they're at and they want attention. And then number two, maybe they're afraid to move forward. They know where they are now. And if they can get people to listen to them in the a.m. of the hours, um, it makes them feel good. They get off the phone, and uh, but they don't do anything to help themselves. So you have people like that. And then you have people, I've actually put, I put them to sleep at night. <laughs> and they sound weird. But they're, they're on meds anyway, So, but they need to hear my voice. So we may not even talk about too much of anything because all of a sudden they hear... <laughs> okay, good. I can hang up now, okay. But they needed to hear another they needed to hear my voice. Okay, they need to hear a person's voice. So because they are they feel so much alone. Okay. And if they hear another person's voice, that's almost like someone reading them a bedtime story, I hate to put it that way, to to regress backwards. But on the other hand, the psychology is the same. It gives it's soothing. So I don't really tell them not to do that. I just know it's going to be a short, you know, phone call. But I always let them know that it's better on the other side. That's what I say to them. Because once you get on the healing journey, it doesn't always feel good. And you have to change things in yourself, too, because we're not 100%, are we? I mean, we've made mistakes. But to acknowledge those mistakes and also, too, where did they come from? And so people, that, that takes away the, the guilt feeling that a person might have because it never was our fault. We were just kids, okay? So I always, you know, use that psychology on them. It, it, we were just kids, and that's the truth. So, you see, I get all different kinds of phone calls. If I think someone's actually going to kill themselves, or they're certainly at risk of it, I always have my cell phone when I'm on air. Okay, a lot of times I forget where the blasted thing is. 
but when I when I'm on air, I know where my cell phone is. It's right here. Okay. So I'm answering a phone call. I'm in my office. I have my phone right next to me. And um, if I feel that this person is at high risk, I have a way. I was taught this. Do you live in, on Elm Street? They'll say, no, I don't live on Elm Street. I, I live on Oak Street. We'll use the trees. There you go. Uh, oh, you live on Oak Street. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember where that is. Um, what's that near again? Is that near the gas station? No, it's near blah, 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 blah. <laughs> You see, I'm getting information from them. And uh, I have uh, their telephone number. That I, when I, they first call, I can write it down. So, um, or certainly the uh, the area code, and then usually the number, too. So I can write it down. Um, and uh, so I get the idea of where the person is. And I call, you know, I have, we've spoken for such a long time. Give me just two seconds. I have to go to the ladies' room. And then they laugh. So I run in I, and uh, with my phone and call 911 quick and tell them what I know. And that's the end. I've done my job. I go back. I keep talking to the person. Now, if they hang up, they hang up. But at least 911 has been called. You see, 911, done my job. So I was taught that years ago, and it works. Not all the time, but it works. So, you know, it's, it's this is what we do as night owls, you know, in, in the middle of the night. Hold on a second. I have a little bit of a sore throat here. Excuse me. And it, it's helpful. But you see, you know, that old Barbara Streisand song, People Who Need People, all right? Well, I used to love the way she sung. But uh, I don't like anything else about, you know, whatever. So anyway, but she was a very good singer, and I loved that song. And um, so what what I'm trying to say is people do need people. Um, I very much say to myself at this point in my life, but there are times when I need people, and that's when I go out. I'll go out. Because I think that... um, because someone like myself who has seen so much uh, violence and who has been violated so many times, you just want to sometimes, I have to watch that, because when I was a kid, I would curl up into a ball. Of course, we know what that means. I used to work in uh, Greystone, you know that. So that's bad. <laughs> when someone curls up into a ball, boy, they're really, truly going in one. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's dangerous. So, um, and I've been there. So, Anyway, the point is that uh, if I, if all a person needs is to hear my voice or somebody else's, hopefully other people answer if they call. I hope so. We have a contact list. Um, but if they hear somebody else's voice and all they're going to do is go to sleep in two minutes' time, you've done your job, they're happier, and you're happier. And uh, then other times we really get into it like you and I are having a good conversation tonight, you bet. And I hope we're able to help a lot of people just in what you and I both know, okay? Both as survivors mm. and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so you mentioned Go ahead. You mentioned um that maybe if someone calls and you're speaking with them and they fall asleep and that's um kind of like a sign of regression, like just needing a bedtime story. And mm-hmm. um curling up mm-hmm. on the floor, you know, and like that's also kind of Regression, and I, I just want to mm-hmm. highlight that um, it's easy to to think of things like that as 
uh, shameful. You know, like you were adults. Well, how could you possibly revert to something like that? And, you know, regression is a normal response to something that is overwhelming. And, and uh, where a person doesn't feel like they have control, they're not safe. And, you know, so there's this kind of automatic uh, mm-hmm. behavior. And, and it's not just in those expressions um, that people may, you know, just lash out and scream or you know, become really irrational and um, even violent. You know? And so I guess I'm just you know, trying to offer that, uh, you know, if that's where people are, that means that there's something there that needs to be faced and something that needs healing. I mean, in the short term, sure, comfort. But uh, in the bigger picture, you know, faced and um, kind of processed in a way that it becomes useful. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's uh, often the pretty normal, you know, who, even people who are feeling very, solid and back, you know, put back together and, and healed and so on. There may be things that, uh, that trigger us and, you know, that's mm-hmm. just there to teach us something. Um, and, and hopefully then we can address it, understand it. And, and, and if that's enough or if it takes a little bit more work, we get, you know, get to that um, experience where we, we don't continue to have those triggers. You know, we can actually respond to things rather than react. Um, I just wanted to offer, you know, try to remove if there was any sense of shame about regression. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be disappointing or upsetting, uh, not what you know. Helpful that's a good point. Things to that, get that's done. a good point. Yeah, because um, that doesn't mean that you're actually going back and you're healing. It means that at that point you're hurting. Okay, there's something. Maybe, maybe I even said it. Trying to help them, you know what I'm saying? Anything can trigger a person. It, it absolutely can. Because we're not inside of their head. We're not inside of their body. We don't know that their psyche. We don't know where they've been. They can tell us. But then we, of course, the survivors, have a good idea of the feeling of what you go through as a child when you go through all those terrible experiences that were put on us. And and we had to go through it. And you either live or you die. It seems like there's nothing in between. You end up either in the places like I worked or, or you end up getting tough and strong, um, moving on. Okay, moving on. And there's nothing wrong with moving on. You see, at times we have people that say, um, you're never, ever, ever going to get over it. And I look at it in this light um, I have a memory, just like everyone else does. When I wrote my book, it didn't trigger me. I just wanted to get it done. So I started on page one and ended on page three, thir- or fourteen, three fourteen. And uh, I didn't even—I had no emotions towards that book, because you see, I had moved on. It was something that I had experienced. I wanted other people to understand what child abuse, of all of your child abuses, or even if they're just one, trauma is trauma, okay? Um, what they feel inwardly, how, they, how it affects their psyche, okay? And how long it can affect their, their psyche. That's why I asked you about, is this something that has to turn into a, a lifetime behavior if they're doing bad behavior, okay? And that was one of the things that was on Facebook. So if a person gets help, if they know they're having problems, um, if they have a ter- terrible, violent temper, like you had just mentioned, that person does need help. 
And they may not even subconsciously, I mean, it's in their subconscious, but consciously they may not even quite know why they're as angry as they are at that moment when they sit down and think about it. Okay, this is how I responded to whatever it was that happened. It doesn't mean that I had to, you know, act out the way that I did. And yet this is what I did do. So those people need to go and get help before they hurt someone, before they punch someone. I always say I'm going to punch people on the nose. When I was a kid, I did, okay, because I was I was like uh, the clown. I was like, and then on the other flip side of the coin, I was also the one being bullied. What do they say about clowns? You turn the clown upside down, what do you see? You see a frown, right? So... You see, I went through that all my life where um, I would have the, the clownish action, which I still carry today, but I'm enjoying myself now. Now there's a difference. I love to make people laugh. And sometimes um, they're in the midst of being really, 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 really angry. They can be angry at me too, whatever it is. And before they leave, they're going to be laughing their ass off because I have a way about me, sort of like um, – like a, a comedian, you might say, where I'm able to take one word and turn it and twist it, and it'll it'll tickle them. You know what I'm saying? They'll start to laugh. And that's what I try to do with people who call me in the AM, because if I make some of those people laugh, then I've done my job. Does it solve the problem? No. The only thing that saved me, Jaime, was I'm Catholic. Now, I didn't have any religion before because my mother was an atheist. She said we came from the ocean. What? And if she caught me praying, because every kid I hung out with, (laughs) I know, every kid, I should have asked her what animal she was. We won't go there. But anyway, some of the the kids I hung out with, a lot of them were Italian. And I could very much um, identify with them. I felt at home, and and they made me feel at home. They loved me. I loved them. They were my family. And even as a child, I would pass around that I was adopted. I finally got caught doing that. And it made my mother mad. And I thought to myself, why? I was already almost a teenager, I could think. I'm thinking to myself, why? Why would she be mad? She doesn't like me anyway. She told me that. We would never be friends. And she meant it. So I didn't really have any parents. I had a stepfather, and he was all involved with the business. Very good businessman. Very productive, and on and on it goes. But, you know, sometimes people are not meant to be parents. We know this. Mm. And uh, that's what I was stuck with was people who are not meant to be parents. Now, as I read Mm. today what I saw on Facebook, it made me go backwards because, you see, my brother was so horribly, so horribly. He was the prince. He was so spoiled and he would act out so in such a way that it would make me vomit because he was one of my abusers, okay? Mm-hmm. I knew what he was like. And then you have me, who is so opposite, who is always like an inch away from going to detention center. I just didn't get caught. Maybe because I was the athlete and I could run faster. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, But then as I grew, as I grew older, a little older, I finally, myself, developed boundaries. I was never taught boundaries. If a child doesn't have boundaries, they're already insecure. You have to have boundaries. 
as long as there are boundaries that are sensible, okay? And um, so I used to hang with kids that would go down, yeah, we'd go down into the subway system down there. We'd do that. And uh, they would kick the homeless. They called them bums. That's disgusting. I can talk about it today, but I never touched them because you don't do that. I even knew better than that. You don't do that. I had a boundary. I wouldn't do that. I'm sure some of those those kids did end up in jail. You see, they had that violence in them. They had that violence. And you see, being a kid who also ran away from home, because I wanted to get away from my brother and my mother, too, um, I learned a lot of the behaviors of those who were out on the street. And some I would take those behaviors, and other times I wouldn't. But they always treated me like a little sister. So they were like my family. So, but I didn't do the same things that they did. A lot of them were on heroin. Some of them OD'd. I had two OD right in front of me. I was I 16? Yeah, about 16 or 17 when that happened. Yeah, they died right in front of me. What am I supposed to do? I had to take off like the rest of them. The police were coming, but it was too late for them. They were foaming at the mouth. But I remember these things. And this is what happens. So when someone puts that on the line... And then ask the question, will it go over, you know, into their adulthood? Um, is it a matter of choice? Or is it a matter of this is what they saw as they were growing up? So, therefore, that is what developed them as human beings and also their personalities and their behavior patterns as an adult. Those are the ones that go to jail. So, yeah, I, I, last final going question. Going back to was, that, yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. That, that question is, um, you know, we're, I do believe we're fundamentally good and wired to be compassionate. And, and I, I can appreciate that um, when that hurt people hurt people, right? So those ways that the people have uh, been cruel, you know, and even, you know, your mother saying what she said to you, I mean, there's, you know, people are not well uh, and show it by being cruel. Um, Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean, though, I, I think, it do, I know it doesn't mean that that's just a, the given. Um, because I, my experience is that, um, especially with uh, survivors, survivors of child sexual abuse, that mm-hmm. uh, people become kind of hyper vigilant and yes. become <laughs> advocates and protectors uh, of others. And, and for the most part, it's pretty the opposite, you know, and so. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, some the, the people who end up really being cruel um, or perpetrate against others uh, can can be you know just what they experience. But um, you know, it's certainly uh, it's, it's awful. But I don't think it's the rule. I don't think it's the the logical order. I don't believe it has to be like a death sentence. Forgive me for putting it that way. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as we grow older, as we're growing up, say, okay, they say the mind doesn't completely, um, you know, form itself until you're 25, 26 years old. And, <clears throat> excuse me, but by that time, I already had two children. 
Um, I was a housewife. Also, I was going out trying to look for jobs if my husband would let me. And he would say, and I'm putting it that way. <laughs> He'd say, I don't want you out working. The guys will look at you. And, and still, we're, we're living in, in squalor. And I know if there was a little more money coming in, it, it would certainly help, wouldn't it? So, um, but you see, that's control. That's something else. So, uh, and that's that's the kind of people that I chose. I, today, if someone were to tell me that I had to dress a certain way, um, and I'm not going to be inappropriate as I dress, but I'm just saying I'm using that. But or if they say that uh, I can't dye my hair or wear, wear makeup or whatever the case might be, oh no, honey, I am my own person. Okay, no one can tell me how to dress or how to do this, or how to do that. It's not a matter of being um, bullheaded or anything. It's a matter of it's my right as a person. And this is what people need to, to learn. Those people out there who try to control other people, people have a right to be themselves. And, and if I want to wear um, a skirt, say, that's uh, three inches above my knee, and that's not bad. I mean, the girls, they wear them all the way up. They're almost like the uh, mini skirts again. I wouldn't do that. Anyway, I'm too old for that. <laughs> but, you know, the the point is, whatever I weigh, I want to display myself, present myself, as long as it's not lewd, crude, and rude, and I'm not going to offend people. Uh, if I want to dye my hair, if I want to wear makeup, if I want to wear pretty clothes, and, and all this other stuff, and uh, to make myself feel better, then I have that right. And no one can tell me I can't go out and get a job you know, to help out in the family. Um, and I should have realized that back then. But at that point in my life, I went from being a robust kid, okay, and I won't wear those braces, which turned out to be a good thing, I think. But the point, that's how I was mentally at that very young age of five. And then somewhere along the line, as I became a young adult, I became inward, bashful. You know, so you're talking about the person who rolls up into a ball. They shouldn't feel that shame. Um, but when a person is like a narcissist who's your husband or your wife who makes you feel less than or like you're the crazy one and you're already broken, then unfortunately you know, then you can be a person who can be bullied, who can be told what to do, what not to do, until you come to your senses and realize, hey, I'm a person too. Okay. And and that's what I tell people out there. They have to understand that we are people. We are people of worth. And once we actually realize that, then we become who we can be. Okay. Yeah, but it takes a long um, time sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the, what you brought up about you know having a voice and a choice about how you present yourself—it it reminds mm -hmm. me of you know the kind of the what happens when people are in an overwhelming or traumatizing or you know situation that is not healthy is that people often feel uh, unsafe, don't know who to trust, don't have a voice, don't have a sense of choice, and often feel powerless. And, and so the reverse is, I guess, signs as well as, you know, conditions in a way to help people to be whole, and that is to, to know that we're safe, 
and not just physically, mm-hmm. but emotionally, and, and for some even spiritually, um, mm-hmm. to know that mm-hmm. we can trust. And so that's a huge issue is when people have been harmed, you know, not knowing who is trustworthy, uh, people have been betrayed, you know, or not right. taken care of, um, and you know, choice. You know how how important it is for us to have a, a choice and take ownership of our actions and and voice as well. You know, be able to speak to issues, to navigate, problem solve situations, and, and ultimately, you know, to be empowered. You know, and so healthy relationships and environments provide those, uh, reinforce those, and um, mm-hmm. and build those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. But it takes a long time for us to realize that we have that right. You see, to to us, it's like a right. You know what I'm saying? Um, We don't think we have those rights. It's almost like the other person owns us. And you see, that's not right. That's not good. That's not not healthy. And, And it's not true, above all. We are our own people. We are our own self. Like I said something to someone not too long ago. Well, sure, I'd like to have a relationship, but that doesn't mean we have to be joined at at the hip. You have your likes, I have my likes. And yes, we have similar likes. Many people grow apart. This is what happened to me in both of my marriages. Um, we grew apart, and uh, my husband was part of 9-11. He died. He had colon cancer. God bless him. Do you know they sent me a birthday card? He died in 2017. They sent me a birthday card. He's been dead all those years, you know, since 2017. And they sent me a birthday card for him. It's it's December 23rd. Mm. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't nice. (laughs) Well, you're you're bringing up also... I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Hmm? Well, you're bringing up also just, especially as this is holiday times, there are a lot of um, experience, hurtful experiences that happen um, that can get stirred up in call it these holiday times where we, we want the ideal of to be in happy places with people who care for us and, you know, worry-free and so on. And, and even, you know, what you're bringing up, you know, when we've lost someone, Holidays have a, a layer of grief to them that is naturally mm-hmm. going to be brought up, whether it's birthdays, anniversaries, you know, holidays, and, um, and so I, that brings up the reality that that all of us um, are swimming in an ocean of, of grief, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but mm-hmm. just reality that you know they're all ongoing, you know, things that um, that we miss or you know, that we're reminded of that have a charge to them. And it's our, our work. I mean, those are maybe painful and, and they're, you know, uh, reminders of, well, this is something that needs more attention. And, uh, it calls us yeah, I think, I feel like it was a, a hoax. I feel like it was a hoax type thing, you know, uh, because you see, well, I'll tell you why. Um, at one time, there was, of course, that's 21 years ago now, all right? My husband worked for the city for uh, 19 years, and he was starting to get sick because he was in the zone, okay? They contacted me 
after he had passed away. They knew he'd passed away. And uh, I had to go to like a, it was like a deposition type thing. It was a hearing. And my daughter was allowed. And uh, because they wanted to determine whether my husband was actually right there by the towers, which makes no sense. The whole area region has filthy air in it. You can't take a knife and cut air. It doesn't make sense. But he worked in that region. He was in the zone. So they were asking me all kinds of questions, which were really making me mad. (laughs) And I answered them. And they said that I did very well. Because they said that there was compensation for the widows. I'm the widow. So then I waited all this time. And I was on Facebook under a certain area where people, too, just like myself, were waiting, had gone through the same thing. We had to get certain paperwork from doctors to uh, clarify certain things and also to prove blah, 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 um, and get it notarized and uh, and then go to this hearing. And then all of a sudden it's all gone. It's all gone. So you see, we live in a sick society. And I wrote on on, uh, Facebook the other day, I might have gotten thrown off. Sometimes I do and I don't care. One night I was writing something and it said, this is going to be put in the New York Times. (laughs) I don't know if it actually was an article that I was writing. Maybe it was, I don't care. It was a good article, I don't care. So um, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, um, I see the pain in other people. Because they went through the same thing I did, having to gather paperwork and and proof that they were on that very street where the towers were. Well, Church Street Mm. is where headquarters is for my husband. Mm. There's no way that he wasn't on that street. Well, did anyone see him? Are you nuts? You look down a city street. Of course, I was born in New York. And I, but I lived mostly in Staten Island. Most of my family on the other side, that they were in Brooklyn, all over the place, in New York City. So, okay. So you look down a city street, and in a time of horror like that, with all people are all full of dust, and and I, I saw one, I was watching, my, my face was glued to the TV. I didn't know if he was dead or alive. And I, I see someone... You know, actually on fire, falling out of a tower that's falling. My God, how horrible. And this is how they treat the people? So I wrote an article very similar to the way that I'm talking to you. They didn't like that. Too bad. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what I wrote was completely in line, and it wasn't disrespectful. I was trying to show that this is not proper behavior from you. Okay. Right. You don't get widows, you know, uh, selling that they, they're going to have some sort of money coming to them. I don't even know what the amount was. I was never told. And, uh, and then do that. And, and was he there on that street? You see, my husband used to take his lunch breaks right next to Church Street after it was all over. I mean, if he wasn't working there, he was still taking his lunch. There was no way he could have breathed mm-hmm. in the air. Right? So it's disgusting. The world many times makes me too mad, I have to admit. The arrogance yeah. of people and, and the uncaring of people, the cruelty of people. Yeah, so this kind of takes us back to um, my original thought about 
you know, that uh, this pandemic, you know, that when we're impacted, then we not just individually need to kind of get stronger and build resilience and be, you know, pr- pr- proactive, but we also have to be surrounded in the community that has a consciousness that um, is going to face things and and uh, what you're describing to me sounds like a, what I think of as a betrayal trauma, you know, that after a person's mm-hmm. already gone through something and then they um, turn to those who could and should be helpful, whether they're, you know, adults for children or people who represent, you know, the city or, you know, other agencies um, and have some formal authority and then uh, are not believed or, are you know denied, um, or are you know just uh, even further traumatized? I mean that's uh, that's another layer of this community of healing that that needs to develop, and you know so it, it does speak to the 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 trauma and the uh, woundedness is pervasive, you know it's mm-hmm. and, and and it shows up in what you've described, you know that. Uh, mm-hmm. People may say things and their words are not um, honorable or you know, trustworthy. Um, yeah. And then they're also then not uh, supporting those who have, um, you know, some some real serious harm, you know, whether it's physical or emotional, spiritual. Yeah, yeah. I, so I this think point that. About uh, yeah. To struggle to build and that, that's so community. important community go ahead I didn't mean to talk over you I thought you were done go ahead yeah it's just that you know, that healthy community is interdependent with individuals getting healthy and, and then learning how to support and trust and be safe and um, have something to share and it is uh, it is hard to see the, the progress to growth. I do see examples. I do believe in the bigger picture that we are becoming um, more whole, even though there's great resistance and denial and ongoing abuse and ongoing kind of irrational and, and hurtful behavior. Um, so it's, it's all going on. It's uh, back to the wily coyote and the roadrunner. Um, yeah. you know, we can internalize that, yeah, things are going to be bad and they'll always be bad and then maybe they'll be worse. Um, and on the other side, we can have a sense of, you know, in the midst of all this that is either imperfect or terrible or, you know, that uh, I also have many blessings to be grateful about. Yeah. And even more radical that I can believe that something wonderful or amazing or good is about to happen. Like the, just as a person can internalize that, you know, things will probably get worse. And now I see more examples of it. Um, we can also not just believe like fantasy, but notice, you know, believe what we see that there are examples of change in the individuals and in groups. Um, and that uh, then we anticipate that. You know, and we we understand that even if it's not visible, you know, that idea of the giant carrot underground, um, that that there is you know, going good going on. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, and I don't mean to sound like preachy, like Pollyannish. I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I know where I know where I've been, and I hear where you know some of where you've been, and and I know that uh, you know love is bigger, you know good is bigger, um, grace is uh, present, call it providence, call it just goodness. Well, I agree with that, but I think I think it takes people. To understand exactly what you just said, okay, and to want to be a part of that. You see, you have, like, um, Group A. You know what I'm talking about. You certainly know about psychology. You have Group A, and um, Group A are the nonconformists, okay? They're going to be the ones that are going to be on the outside, and they're just going to be the way that they are, and they're going to try to rule. Then you have Group B. Eh, I see this, I see that, I don't know if there's anything good, I don't know. I don't even know if I care about the one good, I just care about myself. And then you have Group C, and Group C is like confused, they want to see the beauty again that we once knew, if they saw beauty. Um, They want things to go back to the way it was, and I certainly do, you know, as far as the world is concerned right now. I want to go back. Um, You know, they want, but we we have to give to it too. And that's why community is so important. The very act, like with with the guardian angels, where they got a hold of me and they said, you know, uh, I know them well, but you know, they got a hold of me and they said, do you um, do they need food? Do they need shelter? Do they need clothing? Um, it's an act of kindness and an act also of community. So this is how we, we should be. This is how we should be. So. When we have people like that and other groups that are like that, because they work with other groups like Crime Watch and whomever, Neighborhood Watch, um, you know, we need more groups of that. And I do remember, too, though years ago, especially in the urban areas, we used to have, um, you know, parties, block parties. Did you never know about block parties? I don't know where, where you – I don't think you do. <laughs> I grew up in L.A. Block I didn't really have block parties. Okay, block parties is where in the cities especially, like I remember them in Brooklyn so well and uh, other areas, but they would have block parties and and, and people um, would bring, um, you know, they'd take their, usually in those days it was the small things that you cook on, the the charbroil, you know, all that stuff. You know, you take that, you put it in the middle of the street and you're cooking hamburgers, you're cooking hot dogs, but not just for you, you're cooking for the whole community on that block. And other people are bringing this, they're bringing that, homemade foods of some kind that they made, maybe potato salad, you know, whatever you need. And what happens is they're giving by doing that, and people are coming together. So that block gets to know each other. If they do that maybe five times during the summertime, what happens is um, the people, they can get new friends, right? And uh, then also, too, we we learn to watch out for each other's children because we talk. I mean, we did speak. I, I did. I attended a lot of those in New York. Okay, and, and uh, the in Brooklyn. So over by Sheepshead Bay, that area there. So anyway, what we would do is um, we'd have these block parties, and before you know it, uh, Group A started to open up their eyes a little bit. Group B, this, they weren't confused, and Group C said, "Well, you know what? 
I want to be good. I want I want to have this fun. I want to, I want community. Community can be good. This person's going to help watch out for my kid. I'm going to help watch out for their kid. We're going to help watch out for the elderly. You know, the ones who are more uh, apt to be bullied or, in children's cases, unfortunately, uh, you know, kidnapped. I was kidnapped. I know it's like Bill was kidnapped. Terrible, terrible. And raped and all that stuff. So um, they brought me back. <laughs> they brought him back, too. So the point is this. Um, we watch out for each other. We watch out for each other. So if each community would have block parties, say like in the city, the urban areas. Now, I don't know about the country. I'm up in the sticks now. But there's still problems going on. There's a lot of drugs around here, okay? It doesn't matter where you live. You know, it doesn't matter where you live. Drugs are everywhere. There is less crime as outside of the drugs. There, there, there is less crime. I'll give you that. I mean, I won't leave my house unlocked, don't get me wrong. But, um, and that's just trained, too. I mean, you just, you know better. Uh, a few nights I left my car unlocked, and there were people in my car. They didn't do any damage or anything. But uh, I think there was drinking in my car. <laughs> I think that's what they were doing. So um, I make sure after that to uh, lock my car. So there was a little bit of that going on. What we have to worry about up here are the bears. They're sleeping now, thank God. And, um, you know, we have coyotes. And so you can't leave your dogs out. And I, know I wouldn't do that anyway. Dog is a part of the family as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, there's uh, we have other issues. <laughs> so very little crime. Now, I shouldn't say that on air. Everybody's going to be moving here. I think we have like 2,000, if that, in Oxford. I don't think there's that, it may not even be that many. Maybe it's only 1,500 people, something like that. So you, you see you don't have that many people. But in the areas where there are people, where there are larger cities or there's large uh, towns that maybe border, like when I lived in Phillipsburg, that bordered, that bordered um, PA right there, Easton. So Phillipsburg uh, is considered like a hub of Easton, which is a city. But I did um, a show one night, and I looked that up, the uh, the crime in PA, in, in Easton. And uh, then I looked up the crime in Phillipsburg, and surprise, surprise, Phillipsburg had more crime than Easton. It did. I was shocked. So yeah. we had the uh, guardian angels on the next night, and I brought that up as a topic because, hey, you guys across the river, because it's just a river that separates us. Um, not even a big one, but anyway, you, you have less crime than we do. So you see the boots on the ground, as they put it, the boots on the ground. I've been following the guardian angels since the eighties, since the eighties. I started working in social services, the Rawway Lifers program scared straight. I needed to get some, um, something under my belt. It was volunteer, but I was with them for three years. And uh, then I went from there. I ended up working in detention, which I almost went in, right? (laughs) That's funny. But you see, all those kids that were in detention, a lot of them came from backgrounds like we did. I would do my own little personal survey, plus I had access to the records. So, all right. And then on and on and on, the different jobs that I had, I'd better myself, and each one had to pay more because hubby number one, and it was his children too, our children, he just wasn't a father, period. 
So I had to take mother and father, you know, I had to be mommy and daddy. So I had to, you know, make myself better. And uh, that actually made me stronger, Jaime, okay, because I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. It's nice if you have mommy and daddy in a good home. But I had, I didn't want my kids to go through what I went through. So I, I had yeah. a big job ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think big what you're job. pointing to, whether it's the guardian angels or uh, yeah. your own experience, um, that that's, I think, how that is, the, the I think, the hope, my experience of how we become more whole and call it healthier mm-hmm. uh, is because people know their own experience of suffering and they have compassion and they don't want other people to have the same or worse. They want it to be better. If, if not to their own experience firsthand, that that it matters that what they've experienced and what we've experienced um, mm-hmm. wasn't uh, something just to, to be a burden or if you said a light sentence, but, you know, something that, that uh, counts, you know, that's invaluable. So uh, I think that is my, my experience. That is what I see in, um, you know, there's academics, you know, people who look at, uh, bigger social change and it's not from those who are comfortable it's not from those who are in the exploiting positions of mm-hmm. you know of privilege it's from those who have been hurt those who the system is not working for um, that uh, do the change making and so uh, in, in a sense I mean I appreciate that it's difficult and slow um, mm-hmm. but your examples of what it's you know Helping directly or the guardian angels, that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that matters. Yeah. It does matter, and thankfully they're all over the country now and in different countries. It grew, and it had, they mm-hmm. started in 1979 in New York, and but I didn't start following them till the 80s, and then I moved out here and finally ended up uh, getting to know them. You know, one chapter. All right. So, do you realize that? Um, on my clock, what what time do you have? Um, I have twenty seven after. Yeah, see, we okay. only have we only have three minutes left. You see how fast that went? And you know what? We had a very good show, very good show, and, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, we're able to make people think. I mean, see, that's the thing, is to make people think, and to maybe even teach them a little something that they didn't know. But you're really the guest. And we got along so well. We did the flow was wonderful, like you said. Um, do you have some final words you want to say before we hear the uh, the noise that's going to come in my ear? Hmm. Uh, Ninety seconds. <laughs> Go ahead. Hmm. Um, well, it, I don't really have any you know great thoughts. It's just you know I happen to be in an office in this little mm-hmm. uh, a church office because I'm going to go watch a play in a, in a few minutes. Uh, and there's a book mm-hmm. here in front of me. It's a person who works with little kids, and the book is called Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints. And you know, <laughs> I like that title. Uh, this is, you know, was it John Lewis who said, "Get in, you know, make good trouble." You know, this is uh-huh. um, how change happens. You know, where good people make good trouble, and we're not conventional. People don't have to be the most formally educated or the, you know, fanciest um, to be so important as to be healers and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, places of of safety and 
learning and, and growth for others. So thank you. Sounds like a good book. Sounds like a darn good book. I like that. Well, you know, I'm going to hang up now. The show is over. And uh, it was a pleasure being with you tonight. Um, Thanks, Sean. Maybe I'll be able to be with you some other night, too. And uh, right. I, I enjoy, you know, the show. Really, I do. I think it was very good. And um, so we will be back tomorrow, tomorrow night, same place, same time. For those of you that are listening, a lot of people listen because they don't want to get on. <laughs> they don't want to get on the show. That's okay. Um, but anyway, um, happy holidays to you, okay? I don't know if you're um, – like I, I celebrate Christmas. I don't know what you celebrate. I don't know what other people – but I always say happy holidays. And um, let's hope that next year, okay, is going to be better. I can say yeah. that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, happy holidays because mm-hmm. the reality is there are many, many, many traditions that are celebrating the change from darkness to light, the change from feeling, you know, stuck in sorrow to new life. Right. Thank you. And I like that. I like that. Okay, well, I will talk to you soon again, hopefully, okay? Yeah. And um, Take care. Okay. You. you too. You too. Good night now. Love Talk Radio.